We're in the fourth week of our series called The Commands of Christ. And, and throughout this series, what we've done so far is we've, we've looked at, at the Great Commission, these final words of Jesus, where Jesus gathered his disciples together after his resurrection, truly before his ascension, and he essentially tells them to, to go. You cannot sit still. You have to, to go. And, and your number one job as you go is to make disciples of all nations, Not just those who look like you, not just those who talk like you, but all nations. And you are to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You are to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And when you forget, whenever it feels like that the task is just too big, whenever you don't know which way is up, whenever you don't know where to go, don't forget that I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then we looked at this, this greatest command of Jesus as Jesus was, was kind of challenged by, by all these religious leaders. What's the greatest command? And Jesus simply replied, well, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with every single thing that you have. And then to prove it by loving your neighbor as yourself. And then last week we looked at this, the, the, this command that Jesus gave during the Sermon on the Mount that that, that, that basically tells us that, that those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, those of us who want to be followers of Jesus, those of us who are followers of Jesus, that we are called to a different standard and a different ethic than the rest of the world. And a part of that standard and a part of that ethic is this, to love your enemy and to pray for those who hurt you. This is something that is so incredibly unnatural. But rarely, if ever, will we be more like Jesus than when we do this. And today, we're going to look at another command that is found in the Sermon on the Mount. But before we get there, I want us to start here. Life is full of choices. This is true on a macro level. This is also true on a micro level. This is true that there are decisions about where to go and what to do what to wear and what to buy, what to eat and what job to take, what city to live in, what car to drive. Do we rent this house or do we buy this house? And that list could go on and on and on. In addition to, to these you know, kind of macro look, you know, ty- type of decisions, there's also the micro decisions that will ultimately determine who we are and, and, and will determine who, what our character is. Will we be people who will listen to one another? Or will we be people who assume about one another? Will we be peacemakers, unifiers, or will we just contribute to the divide that we already find in this world? Will we be people who show grace and mercy, or will we hold a grudge? Will we be people of empathy, or will we be people of apathy? Will we be compassionate, or will we be callous? Will we use our words to build others up or will we use our words to tear others down? And all of these decisions are decisions that we will make every single day. And it's these decisions that will determine the direction of our lives. We have to understand this, that we may have the best of of intentions, but any time that our good intentions and our decisions don't line up, it will always be our decisions that ultimately win. And so there's, there, there, there's another decision that those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus that, that we must make. And, and this one decision we'll, we'll choose, that, that we choose will, 
what will influence, it must influence all other decisions that we make, and it's this. Are we content with simply being Christians, or will we be disciples? Are we content with simply being Christians, or will we be disciples? And maybe you hear this, and and you think that, man, those are honestly the same thing. Maybe you think I'm just playing with semantics, but I would argue that there's actually a pretty stark difference in the two. Because for centuries now, people have been describing Christian in any number of ways. You go and ask any number of Christians, what is a Christian? How do you become a Christian? And you're going to get any number of answers. And, and honestly, this is why whenever you look at the course of human history, you see so many awful things have been done in the name of being a Christian. Because so often we've created Christianity in our own image. What we think being a Christian should be is what we hold in highest esteem. We've We've made it look how we think that it should look. We, we, we've, we've created these ideas. Different people have created these ideas that a Christian must look a certain way. A Christian must dress a certain way. People believe that a Christian, a true Christian, must read a certain translation of the Bible. There's definitely people who believe that, that a Christian must attend a certain denomination of a church. That a Christian cannot drink or cuss or chew or run with those who do, right? Like... Like, like ever, our natural bend is to create Christianity in our own image. Our national bend is to create Christianity where it makes us the hero, where it makes us comfortable. And the reason we're able to do this is because the term Christian is really never defined in Scripture. It's only used a handful of times, and really whenever it's used, it's used in like a derogatory term. It's describing this group of like, 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 like zealots in a sense, the they, the people who were not really held in, 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 in high esteem at that time. It's, it's not something that, that has gone into de- detail, but, but being a disciple. Being a disciple is described in great detail in Scripture. In fact, we're talking about this Sermon on the Mount. So much of what the Sermon on the Mount is, is Jesus defining what a disciple is. Where being a Christian can be viewed as a one-time decision, being a disciple we see as a lifelong process, as a lifelong pursuit, and, and being a disciple eliminates all those loopholes that being a Christian may create. And so here, we, what we'll see today is Jesus begins to wind down this Sermon on the Mount, a sermon in which he closed so many of the, these loopholes in and of itself. He, he turns his, his attention to this idea of choices. And the fact that there are some Christians who believe that they're making all the right choices when in reality they are not. And before we go any further, I, I, I need to be so, so clear here. Daniel's communion appeal was, was perfect. We are saved by grace through faith. I do not want to dispute the all-sufficiency the all of Christ or the importance of faith in, in, in grace. But far too often, too many believers trust in a one-time decision that shows no marks of true discipleship. Far too often we are overlooking that, yes, we are saved by Christ, but when we are saved by Christ, Christ saves us into discipleship. Richard Warmbrand, he, he says this, I love this quote, he says, there are two kinds of Christians. Those who believe in God and those who just as sincerely believe that they believe. And you can tell them apart by their actions in decisive moments. I said this last week. 
But the text that we are looking at today is one of the most difficult texts to preach in the New Testament. I honestly doubt that there's ever been a preacher who has ever prepared for a message on this text who has not felt the eyes of this text staring right back at them. But we're going to see where we're reaching the climax of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it's here that Jesus makes it clear that his commands demand a response, that we cannot just sit idly by, remain neutral, that that is not an option, that sitting on the fence will no longer work. But there are two paths, two gates that stand before us. And the one you or I choose will have massive consequences on the rest of our lives, this life and the next. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to begin here in verse 13, where Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, that is your command. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. So there we have it. We have, we have two choices. We have two gates. And Jesus emphatically says, enter through the narrow gate. He says that the road that leads to destruction, it's, it's large, it's attractive, it's well-traveled. There are lots of people who walk down it. It is the popular road. It is the well-known way. It is not narrow in its thinking, but it's very open-minded. It is not restrictive in its behavior, but it has few rules. Essentially, anything goes on this broad road that leads to destruction. Spiritually speaking, it is all-inclusive. It believes that there are any number of ways to inherit eternal life. It believes that if you're just simply a good person, then you'll certainly receive your reward in heaven. However, at the same time, it, it, it can be divisive. At the same time, it can be arrogant and it can be proud. It can, it, it can believe that its version of truth is more important than God's version of truth revealed in Jesus Christ. The broad path, this road that leads to destruction, it tears others down and it refuses to be gracious. This broad road, it, it looks to justify its own sin while quickly looking to judge the sin of others. This broad road is not only filled with people who rarely, if ever, darken the doors of the church, but it's also filled with those who believe that they believe without any true marks of discipleship, to borrow the words of Richard Warmbrand. It is so easy for us to look around the world and, and see everything that's wrong. It's so easy to develop this false sense of moral superiority when we compare our sin and our shortcomings to the sin and the shortcomings of the world around us. But while the sin of the world around us can hurt us and frustrate us, and honestly, it can just cause us to question humanity altogether, it's our sin and no one else's sin that is the greatest threat to entering the kingdom of God. But it's this deception that the evil one uses to make us super comfortable with our own sin. It's not that bad. It's this deception that the evil one uses to convince us to justify and minimize our own sin. And it's for this reason that Jesus says that, that this broad road that leads to destruction, it is very, very well populated. But the narrow road, this road that leads to life, it is so difficult to find. 
Because it is full of love whenever love doesn't make sense. It is full of joy in the midst of unspeakable pain. It is full of peace in the midst of chaos. It is full of patience when you're tempted to throw in the towel. It is full of kindness to those who you agree with, but especially towards those who you don't. It's full of doing good for others who will never be able to do good for you. It's full of gentleness, not cowardice, but gentleness in the way that we handle relational tension. It's full of faithfulness when everything inside of us wants to jump onto the broad road. It is full of self-control, the ability to be quick to speak and slow to, or quick, quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. The ability to gain perspective and have empathy and choose to love deeply even when it's not reciprocated. This is the narrow road. And this is the way of Jesus. It does nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility it considers other better than itself. And here we see Jesus saying that if you truly want to be my follower, it can not only be the way of Jesus, but it must be our way too. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are all found in Galatians 5 where the heading says, The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. The proof that God's Spirit is residing within you. But it brings up this question. How can I or anyone know what road I or anyone else is on? So let's look at what Jesus says in verse 16 where he says, By their fruit, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, it is by their fruit that you will recognize them. Jesus says it is by their fruit, the same fruit of the Spirit. It is by your love. It is by your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your gentleness, your faithfulness, your self-control are those things that are evident in your life because it is by those things that we will be able to see that we belong to Jesus. Notice he doesn't say it's by showing up to synagogue or showing up to church that you will be able to recognize them. It's not by the, the, the fish on the back of your car that will allow you to recognize them. I remember whenever I was at a church, I mean, we, we have a, a, a transportation vehicle here that works about 30% of the time or so, and it has Leclerc Christian Church slapped on the side. And I remember at a church I was at before, we had a bunch of vans, and every time that we, we, we got a rental van, we were like, man, it is so nice to drive in a van that does not say Carterville Christian Church on it. Because the expectation raises a little bit, Right? When the church's name is slapped on, slapped on the side of the vehicle, whenever your fish is on the back of your car, the expectation raises just a little bit. Whenever your Joy FM sticker is on the back of your car, the expectation, it raises just a little bit. You better not just start honking at people because they sit at the red light for two seconds too long. You need to chill out just a little bit. You're representing something much bigger than yourself. It's not by your Christian t-shirts or your church t-shirts that you will be recognized. And whenever you wear those things, you better watch out. 
because you're raising the expectation just a little bit. You're representing something that is so much bigger than yourself. Jesus says that you will not recognize them by the words that they profess with their mouths. Is that part of it? Absolutely. But you will recognize them when the words that they profess with their mouths line up with the life that they live. When the words that they profess with their mouths line up with the fruit of their lives, you will recognize them when their actions match what they claim to believe. You will recognize them when they do more than simply say that they love God, but they prove it in the way that they love others. And church, I'll be honest with you, I fail at this so, so often. This past week, the staff and I, we, we, were, we were, I mean, essentially spending the week running from Hurricane Ian. That's what we did all week long. It was a ball, let me tell you. You know, it, was, it, it really was a, a good time. But, but, but as we went north out of Florida thinking we were going in the opposite direction of the storm, we found ourselves in Savannah, Georgia, which ended up being the exact direction of the storm. Super cool. But as we were in Savannah, we, we went out and we walked around one morning and and as we were walking, all of a sudden, we heard just the deepest and most anguished scream that I have heard in a long, long time. And we turn around, and it's this gentleman who has the cutest little dog, and he's just there, and he's just screaming. He's just bent over, just screaming. And we look back to see what's going on, to see if anybody's being hurt or not, and he notices us, look at him. And this is what he said. He goes, I'm not crazy. I'm just mad. To which my thought was, that's exactly what a crazy person would say. <laughs> and so in my mind, I was thinking, I got to get away from this person as fast as I can. You want to know how I normally justify those decisions? Because I have my wife with me. Because I have my, my, my four children with me. I did not have my wife. I did not have my four children. I had four, uh, four, three other grown men with me. And it broke my heart later in the day because all of a sudden, just hours and hours later, we hadn't talked about it anymore or anything. But just the story of the Good Samaritan came rushing to my mind. And it hit me, Andy, you're not a coward because your family's with you. You're a coward because you're a coward. Why in the world would I not go with three other grown men to this guy who was hurting so badly to see if there's anything I could do? And man, just even today as Evan was singing Amazing Grace, that's the thing that was in my mind. God, thank you for your grace and help me to do better. Do we love like Jesus? Do we show mercy like Jesus? Do we care for the marginalized like Jesus? Do we love our neighbor as ourself like Jesus? Do we nurture patience and love within our own families? Do we serve our spouse well? Do we love just as Jesus has loved us? That's the fruit that distinguishes the disciple from the Christian. Following these words about the two paths and 
recognizable fruit, Jesus speaks the words that have on more than one occasion sent to chill down my spine. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did I did, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name did we not drive out demons, and in your name did we not perform miracles? Then Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What Jesus is saying here is that it's possible to profess Christ as Lord, and for Jesus to deem that profession as false and inauthentic. It's possible to do works in the name of Jesus and for them to be deemed as inauthentic. So what is the true test? What is is the test of, of true profession of faith? It is fruit revealed through a transformed and obedient life. Church, the goal is not to know about Jesus. The goal is to become more like Jesus and to be known by him. So please hear this. Of course, it is true that no man enters the kingdom because of his obedience alone. You cannot do it on your own. But it is equally true that no man enters the kingdom who is not obedient. It is true that, that, we, that we are all saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But it is equally true that God's grace in a person's life inevitably results in a pursuit of obedience. We cannot mold what it means to be a Christian into our own image. And that's why I say being a disciple is always better. It's a better choice than simply being a Christian. For discipleship, by definition, will always follow the ways of Jesus. It moves beyond praying a prayer. I grew up Baptist. I did that. It moves beyond going to a class to be confirmed in some sort of way. It moves beyond hopping into a baptistry. And it moves into a daily pursuit of striving to think and act and live And love more like Jesus. So if we're content to simply settle for the badge of Christian, we may believe all the right things, but still not live like Jesus. And I've believed for a couple of decades now that you are the biggest threat to the church if that's where you find yourself. Because the biggest threat to the church today is people who claim the name of Jesus but live nothing like him. And if we don't surrender our lives to the person and the purpose of Jesus, if we don't daily determine to follow him, we will run the risk of stopping with good and in many cases right beliefs and thinking that that's good enough. But if we stop there, we will never, ever, ever be known by our fruit. Life is full of choices. And so church, may we day in and day out choose to live as Jesus lived, think as Jesus thought, act as Jesus acted, and love as Jesus loved. 
May we do more than simply say that we love God. But may we prove it in the way that we live and the way that we love others. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your grace. For all the times that I fall short, for all the times that we fall short, for all the times that I'm a coward, for all the times that I'm afraid, for all the times that you put an open door right in front of me and I ignore the good that I know that I ought to do, God, will you forgive me? Father, I thank you that you have made this way clear through your son, Jesus. This way of discipleship clear. So may we be a group of people who put your ways above our ways, your truth above our truth. Whenever we don't think something makes sense, may we always side with you instead of siding with ourselves. Whenever your ways come in conflict with the ways of this world, may we always side with you rather than siding with the ways of this world. Jesus, I thank you for the hope that we have in you and the hope for eternal life, but not only that, the hope to be able to live a fruit-filled life here on this earth. So Jesus, use us, please. It's in your name we pray. Amen.